Shalom, and welcome to Inside Israel News, your source for unbiased and thorough analysis of Israeli news, politics, and current events in the Middle East. I'm your host, Isaac Kite. Well, it's been an incredible week for news, that's for sure. Inside Israel News is back. Uh, I'm a little bit late with this episode. I've been under the weather with the uh, usual seasonal cold that I get runs through the whole family around about this time of year. So if my voice sounds a little subpar today, that's because it is. (laughs) And reports of my death are only mildly exaggerated. I am just death warmed over today. Starting to get better, but um, while I could put off the episode to recording at a better time, unfortunately... The news does not stop because I'm not feeling well, and there's so much to do now. If I, you know, I could do three episodes on this, so it's getting, it's getting like that. So let's just dive right in. Uh, an Israeli delegation is on its way to Washington to talk about the Iran deal. The Biden administration remains committed to trying to go back to the Iran deal, and they are uh, sending signals through back channels, basically, that uh, this delegation isn't going to change anyone's minds and what have you. So public and, and uh, private signals from the Biden administration, they, they intend to press forward with this almost you, you know, bullheaded, borderline, psychotic effort to reinstitute the Iran deal that has never been upheld by Iran, even when the Obama administration first negotiated the deal. So uh, interesting approach there, but uh, kind of what we come to expect from the Biden administration thus far. Meanwhile, they've given a, a great deal of money to the Palestinians and uh, tried to uh, resume peace negotiations. So, no surprise, there's violence. Every time somebody tries to start a, a major uh, thrust for peace, there is violence. And so now there are riots and uh, demonstrations throughout the Palestinian territories, so to speak, uh, and in Umm al-Fam and a couple of Arab communities in Israel, and there is much consternation. There have been violent clashes in Jerusalem between far-right and uh, pro-Palestinian groups. I'm going to cover that just a little bit more detail a little later. And there's uh, rockets being fired from Gaza into Israel. Now, why is this happening? Again, there's talk of a peace deal. Anytime there's a push for peace, Jews die. It's just unfortunate reality of the situation. Uh, As I mentioned with Dennis Ross and the missing peace, there was an attempt to negotiate a good peace deal, uh, what would for the Arabs have been a good deal, certainly uh, during the Clinton administration. And uh, when uh, when Arafat sabotaged that, they uh, went to the Second Intifada, which a number of Arabs have figured out was a big strategic mistake. But now there's talk of a third intifada. (laughs) Great. Uh, Israel also doesn't have a permanent and stable government. And uh, Israel's perceived weakness there uh, is definitely contributing. Now, uh, there have been some military measures taken to uh, step up security around the Gaza Strip. They've shut down a a fishing zone where Gaza fishers are, are able to operate so that that cannot be used for terrorism and that sort of thing. <clears throat> uh, Bibi Netanyahu and Benny Gantz approved the, the operation and uh, sought cabinet approval eventually. There, there's always this story, and I think it's kind of funny that, you know, that, that every time there's some kind of military operation, there's always some headline somewhere, you know, prime minister attempted to, to you know, initiate military action without cabinet approval. 
This happens every time, people. Why, why is there outcry about this? Uh, it, it often happens that the uh, prime minister and the defense minister will go to the military, get everything planned and ready, have the entire operation laid out, and basically ready to pull the trigger, and then they go to the cabinet and get final approval. Uh, this is, this is, you know, I, I guess you could call it uh, planning, preparation, I mean, readiness, uh, ready to pull the trigger. But no, the prime minister does not have, uh, except in certain emergency situations, the ability just to authorize military action on his own recognizance. So yes, the cabinet is required. But there's always this, you know, they tried to do it on their own. And it's like, you know, surprise, surprise. This is the headline we get every time, uh, especially when there's a right-wing prime minister. Now, when there's a left-wing prime minister, uh, you may be familiar with this phenomenon. They walk on water. They can do no wrong. They are uh, the next uh, candidate for sainthood by the Catholic Church, <laughs> even though Jewish. And, uh, you know, everything they do is erudite and well thought out. And, and the process was perfect and flawless execution, all that kind of good stuff, right? Uh, but uh, when it's a right-wing government, obviously they can do no right. Right, so in this episode, I'm going to cover three more things, having discussed uh, thus, the news thus far. I'm going to talk about uh, Jewish versus Arab extremism in uh, the, the recent demonstrations and such, in Jerusalem especially, and uh, draw out for you some things, some lessons about the conflict from that. And then after the break, I'm going to come back and talk about uh, the, the Arab situation, uh, both the uh, political situation with the Arab Israelis and uh, issues with the, the so-called Palestinians and their, their politics, some of the things that are going on there. And I'll wrap it up by talking about some of the political jockeying that's going on kind of at the last minute as Bibi's running out of time to form a coalition. And uh, things are getting down to the wire where uh, President Rivlin says Yair Lapid will be given the mandate to form a coalition. So that's going to be all sorts of interest and, and fun there. Um, but uh, let's buckle in for the first segment here. So uh, headlines over the weekend, there was a demonstration by hard-right Israeli uh, Jews in Jerusalem, at which demonstration they shouted such slogans as death to the Arabs. All right. This is this is not cool. Uh, and I will tell you, I, I wholeheartedly condemn this attitude. And uh, as would uh, any decent Jew, in my opinion, I don't see how you can believe in our faith and chant uh, a desire to kill other people. Murder is morally wrong in Judaism. And, and that's just the fact. Now, if someone is trying to kill you, an individual person is actually trying to kill you, you have a right to self-defense, and that's a little bit different measure. Okay, so in war, we have to fight wars, and, and we have to defend ourselves as a community. But uh, advocating that kind of murder is, is just un-Jewish, in my opinion. And that's the opinion of the overwhelming number of Jews. So we have these few radical nut jobs go out there, and 99.98% of Jews in the world will condemn even that they should say death to the Arabs, right? Uh, and uh, obviously these are people who are unfriendly <laughs> to... Uh, Israeli government's right and left efforts for peace and this kind of thing. And they've had clashes with the police. They're unruly, right? We have them too, basically. Everybody, every group of people has a few nut jobs, a few radicals who are out there, and, uh, and this is ours. Now, it's very important that you understand, though, that these are people who are shouting slogans and protesting. They're, they're getting into some violent clashes with the Arabs, but 
to a large part, in large part, the, the Arabs like to get out there and clash with these kinds of people because it's so rare an opportunity. Jews just don't act like this most of the time. And so they like to get out and, and try to start fights. It creates a, a moral relativism for them, in their opinion, when, you know, you get a few idiot Jews who go out and chant uh, death to Arabs. Yet, like I said, just for chanting, just for protesting, just for holding that view, we condemn them. Meanwhile, on the other side, uh, among the Arabs, they chant, slaughter the Jews, not death to the Jews, slaughter the Jews, they say this frequently in, in Arabic, and it does not mean, you know, gently kill the Jews or, or kill uh, one or two Jews, it means like annihilate the Jews. It's, it's you know, a slogan that the Nazis would have been good with if they'd, if they'd spoken Arabic. Uh, slaughter the Jews, kill them all. And then, more than just protesting, rioting, and what have you, they actually proceed to do that. Uh, Arab terrorists will sneak into people's houses, Jewish houses, in the middle of the night and stab to death men, women, and children. They will walk along the streets in Israel, which should be safe for people, and stab old women and old men uh, and, and murder them. They will drive over people with cars. They will blow up buses and they will fire rockets at schools. And this uh, really defines the difference, I think, in the conflict here. <clears throat> on our side, on the Jewish side, uh, we hear a few people chanting uh, fanatical things and we condemn them wholeheartedly. On the other side, not only do they, do they not condemn them, they celebrate them. Uh, terrorists who uh, murder Israelis and go to prison or are themselves dispatched, for example, homicide bombers who blow themselves up to kill large numbers of people, their families get pensions from the Arab government, you know, from the Palestinian Authority. Oh, yeah, yeah, those same people the Biden administration just sent hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, quarter of a billion dollars, $250 million. How much, how much can that buy, right? Um, that, that's what these people do. Uh, and, and every charitable effort toward the Arabs ends up resulting in the same thing. Uh, the European Union gave the uh, Gaza Strip a whole bunch of concrete in hopes that they would use it to build homes. Instead, they built a whole bunch of tunnels into Israel with the hopes of uh, putting on, uh, donning Israeli military uniforms and terrorizing Israelis. And uh, thankfully, Netanyahu's government a few years back uh, was able to find these tunnels and defuse the situation ahead of time. But we can just imagine what would have resulted, the confusion, if a bunch of uh, Hamas terrorists were running around Israel wearing is IDF uniforms, uh, and obviously kidnapping uh, civilian soldiers and whoever they can get their hands on. So this is this is what what results in these situations. So if you're a terrorist in the Arab side, uh, you get celebrated. Your family gets a pension, and uh, they they run around you know chanting people's names and carrying their their pictures and uh, celebrating them for committing these acts. Whereas you know someone so much as chants a stupid radical slogan that no decent human being should ever uh, chant, and we wholeheartedly condemn it. As Golda Meir said many years ago, so thoughtfully, uh, if the Jews put down their guns today, there'd be slaughter. If the Arabs put down their guns today, there'd be peace. And that's what really defines the conflict. The fact that entreaties to some kind of peace process have led to violent riots by the Arabs should be evidence enough of this. So in this segment, I'm going to talk about the situation with the Arabs, and I'm going to break that up into talking about the Palestinian situation, and then I'll move over to the Israeli-Arab situation, because that will tie in nicely with the political jockeying that's going on uh, in the coalition talks, and that should make for a, a smooth transition. Well, uh, Mahmoud Abbas has surprisingly... <laughs> 
I know you're shocked, as shocked as I am. I don't know, maybe somebody told you this might happen. Postponed elections uh, for the Palestinian Authority. And uh, that means that, uh, or at least he's, he's seriously discussing postponing them. They haven't had an election in 15 years, so obviously uh, now would be the time to push those elections off even farther. And uh, I love seeing the headlines about things like this, because then they say, you know, but he risks uh, in alienating international uh, community supporters. You know, he's going to alienate his support in the international community by pushing off elections. And I just have to say, I mean, now that the United States is sending the Palestinians a quarter of a billion dollars, that's alienation right there. I mean, nothing says I feel alienated from the international community like a whole ton of money. I mean, a quarter of a billion dollars, that's a lot of money. A little bit of chump change there. Uh, so if I were Mahmoud Abbas, I'd be feeling really alienated right now. And uh, as an American taxpayer, I'm, I'm feeling a little exasperated. After all, my tax dollars are now going to pay for the ongoing dictatorship uh, of a group of people. So the oppression of a group of people by a dictator, right? And on top of that, that group of people is then being paid to terrorize another group of people. That's the wonderful thing. It's a, a great thing for us to pay for. Uh, so, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars. You know, feeling really alienated now. So obviously, Mahmoud Abbas is making a huge strategic error by putting off elections because that's alienating him from the international community. All $250 million of alienation that he's feeling right now. In any case... <laughs> I hope you can laugh along with me on this. I, I try to, I try not to, you know, I reach a point. It's like sometimes you just have to let it go, okay? Have a, a little laugh about these things. that They get ridiculous after a while. Um, so this is, the, this is the situation that prevails on their side. Dictatorship, riots, uh, firing rockets into Israel. Uh, this is their strategy for handling uh, the present situation. And there's talk of a third intifada. Intifada in Arabic means uprising or revolt. Basically, the, the first intifada took place uh, just before the Gulf War uh, during the, re, the uh, prime ministership of Yitzhak Shamir. And then that ultimately kind of petered out with the Oslo Accords. And then uh, second intifada, of course, was launched right after <clears throat> negotiations uh, were uh, made significant progress toward peace in 1999 and 2000 when Yasser Arafat uh, sabotaged that process. Again, I, I mentioned Dennis Ross's book, uh, The Missing Peace, and, and he talks about that. And that intifada led to a lot of uh, Israeli deaths. As I mentioned, that nightclub bombing alone uh, was, was a horrible, horrible event. We discussed that in a previous episode. And now they're talking about a third. Uh, obviously, uh, with you know rockets flying from Gaza and that kind of thing, this is not a time when Israel wants to be engaging in any kind of military action. They, the Israelis have internal political problems they want to sort out first. For example, who should continue to be prime minister? Should Bibi continue to be prime minister or someone else? Uh, if so, what? What's the coalition going to be? It's going to be center-left, center-right. Israelis are focused on internal problems. And uh, obviously the Palestinian Authority is taking advantage of that. And Hamas, the, the, two, the two main terrorist organizations, Fatah, which runs the, the Palestinian Authority in the Shomron and Yehuda, what the uh, international press calls the West Bank. And uh, the Gaza Strip is run by Hamas. It's Hamastan. It's their... Their little, uh, <clears throat> their little enclave where they rule with an iron fist. Uh, if you uh, if you speak out against Hamas in the Gaza Strip, you're you're going to be treated very much like you might have been treated under Joseph Stalin's regime in the Soviet Union. 
Uh, in fact, they, they might not even be as nice as Stalin was. Uh, Stalin had a way of just having people executed. Uh, Hamas likes to torment and uh, torture people before they die. So uh, this, is, this is where uh, they are. Elections postponed, probably. Uh, violence. Uh, they, and they have a pretty good chance of getting something of what they want by complaining about this. I mean, they're certainly getting plenty of money. So uh, they're achieving results. As for uh, the Arab-Israeli situation, now I, I will, backing up for just a minute, as I've said before, I don't have an anti-Arab bias myself. I know a lot of Israelis are very callous about uh, Arab-Israelis to a certain degree just because there's been so much conflict and so many problems. But with that said, uh, there, there, is, there has been hope, and I have expressed it, that uh, Mansour Abbas and Ra'am are ready to work with the government to start to address the domestic policy issues that relate to the Arab-Israeli community. They have uh, huge problems with organized crime, poverty, they have housing issues. It would be much better if uh, someone from the Arab world were to step forward and uh, take leadership, take ownership of that situation. Well, uh, in that optimism, the, the sort of the other side of that coin is the danger of bringing in an Islamist party into the coalition. I don't really see that danger as strongly as some others do. Uh, there's, a, there's definitely a Trojan horse theory being pushed by a lot of people on the Israeli right. Uh, the fact is, I think Mansour Abbas is here opportunistically to make himself the hero of the Arab-Israeli community and to advance his own political career uh, by achieving results for them by joining the government. Uh, and since uh, both his party and uh, Netanyahu and the Israeli right are uh, steadfastly anti-Iran, uh, that that is something where uh, we share common interests. So, uh, kind of like the Abrahamic uh, Accords, we have this uh, we have this uh, common consensus that Iran is bad. Iran is the enemy of Israel and the Arabs, and so. Uh, that that major national security concern in front uh, would be something to have a uh, common interest on. However, dealing with the Palestinians would be a very different matter. And now that they're rising up and making trouble, let us raise that issue. Uh, Israel National News. Uh, I've mentioned a number of news sites where you can get kind of day-to-day -day news. Uh, Haaretz will give you the far-left news in Israel. So if you want far-left spin, go to Haaretz. Every now and then I, I schlep over there just because it's kind of fun to see what crazy headlines they have. It, it can be amusing. You can have yourself a good laugh. Uh, Times of Israel is, is more like American left. Uh, Jerusalem Post tries to be more centrist. They have some uh, right-wing commentators and left-wing commentators, and so they, they try to be more newsworthy, but they have their own biases. Uh, Israel National News is pretty good for right-wing news, if you're, if you're looking for a right-wing source. And uh, INN has noted that uh, if you... Uh, they have, a, they have a, an op-ed out about this, talking about how, um, you know, the, the Arab governments that Israel has made peace with, for example, uh, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, these governments would never let Islamists anywhere near their government. You know, people like Ra'am, Mansour Abbas, uh, these guys who are part of uh, Islamic movements, Islamist political parties, national Islamist parties, they wouldn't let those people anywhere near government in their countries because they know that, that these people are trouble. And so they've made a very fair argument, I think, for why uh, Ra'am shouldn't have any involvement in the Israeli government. So if you're interested in that perspective, uh, it's not mine, precisely. As I've said, I think they're more concerned about domestic issues. But a lot of people on the Israeli right are concerned that Ra'am would be a Trojan horse to uh, Islamist efforts to undermine Israel's defense policy and, and that kind of thing. Because they've, uh, you know, they, they say you know, these parties have supported terrorism in the past and are anti-Zionist.
And those are fair points. Uh, those are things I cannot argue with. Again, my perspective is that these are the, the issues that are most concern, of most concern to Mansour Abbas are domestic, which is why I think uh, it wouldn't be such a terrible thing for him to deal with that. And again, Iran is the common enemy. Now, there are two ways in which the Arab parties could play a role in Israeli politics, of course. Uh, Ra'am isn't the only option. The, uh, the Arab joint list is also uh, an option, which has one Jewish member of Knesset from Hadash. Uh, mentioned he recently charged some police officers and, and got the snot knocked out of him for it. And, uh, you know, so he's obviously not all that incredibly bright. <laughs> but uh, that, that explains the joint list for you, I guess. In any case, uh, the joint list is made up of parties that are secular nationalist, anti-Zionist, militantly anti-Zionist, communist, like Hadash, and just generally, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, they're, they're so completely antithetical to the mainstream of Israeli politics, so completely out of step with anything you'll find uh, among the other parties outside of Joint List or Ra'am that it's difficult to imagine them participating in any government gainfully, even if they wanted to. I mean, you look at guys uh, like Ahmed uh, Tibi, you know, if, if he wanted to be part of a government, if he thought it would be beneficial to him or that it would uh, somehow advance his career, it's still difficult to imagine him being able to play a constructive role of any kind. Even for Mansour Abbas, again, his focus on domestic issues uh, has been uh, part of that that process, but uh, it's still a little bit tricky for him too, considering that uh, you know the positions he's taken in the past and the things he supports. So um, either way, it's looking increasingly like whatever happens, there's going to be there's going to need to be some kind of Arab party in the government uh, in order for the anti-BB or pro-BB uh, parties, the, the, those two blocks to form a coalition, unless there's some breaking of the ranks. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, because obviously there's a desire to get parties to break ranks with their particular blocks and that kind of thing, but it's just not happening. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about either a, a government led by Bibi with all of his natural allies and the ultra-Orthodox parties and uh, the religious Zionist party, where uh, Betzalel Smulrich has been very anti Arab in his rhetoric and, and is not willing to join a government with, as he says, you know, an Arab Trojan horse party involved in the party, involved in the coalition. Uh, you have you have that possibly with Yamina coming out to 59 seats. So that coalition could be propped up by Ra'am from outside the coalition. So without joining the coalition, Ra'am could vote for Bibi to be prime minister and then just keep uh, supporting him in votes of confidence so that Bibi doesn't lose his office. But basically, it would be a right-wing religious government at that point. Okay, so that's one option. But on the other side of that, uh, if the if the anti bb coalition is going to put itself together, even with uh, Yamina, they're at 58. They're a seat short of, of where BB would be. And uh, even that, I mean, as I've talked about before, that requires so much give and take. It really is a, a unity government we're talking about there. We're talking about Meretz and Labour, far-left parties sitting in government with uh, far-right parties <laughs> like Yisrael Batenu. Uh, more on them in a second, by the way. I'm not going to let Avigdor Lieberman off for uh, some of the things that are going on here. Anyway, they're still at 58 seats, which means they would need the votes of Ra'am 
or the joint list to carry them over the 61 seat threshold. So where are those votes going to come from? Uh, unless somebody breaks ranks. And again, let's just assume for the moment, uh, for the, the sake of this debate, uh, this particular mental exercise, that there's no, uh, that no one is going to break ranks. So where does that leave us? That means someone, somewhere, some coalition, either those who are pro-BB or those who are anti-BB, are going to form a government backed by Arab parties. And uh, again, as the Israel National News uh, uh, op-ed pointed out, this is a, you know, this could be considered or construed as a Trojan horse of Islamists gaining access to uh, Israeli politics. All right, I mean, that's a perspective. Interesting point. But uh, that's still going to be unstable, and especially on the center-left. Already, uh, talks about who's going to be prime minister for the center-left are kind of breaking down. Uh, there's been a gulf, a growing space between Yair Lapid and uh, Naftali Bennett, for example. And uh, Bennett wants uh, Yair Lapid and his group to recommend him to be prime minister so that President Ruby Rivlin, Reuven Rivlin, everybody calls him Ruby, uh, so Ruby Rivlin can uh, task Bennett with forming a government. But then Lapid is afraid, if Bennett is tasked with forming the government, that he's going to turn right around and, and work out some kind of a rotation deal with Bibi. Because, obviously, Naftali Bennett is going to do what's in Naftali Bennett's best interest. So the center-left is saying they're going to support Lapid, and then Lapid can negotiate rotations in office and that kind of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. What they're talking about now is uh, Lapid as... Uh, Prime Minister, uh, possibly in rotation with Bennett, and uh, Benny Gantz as Defense Minister, Gidon Sa'ar as Justice Minister, and, and so on and so forth. So they're they're kind of doling out ministries to all of the different uh, inzundry uh, parts of that uh, potential coalition. And again, the only way this happens is with Arab votes, unless somebody breaks ranks. Right, so before I go on, I need to take a pound of flesh from Avigdor Lieberman, the leader of the Yisra Batenu party. And this is something that uh, a little bit personal, because I've, I've liked what he's said in the past at times, and I've uh, been someone who has publicly advocated for his party occasionally in certain elections, uh, especially when they ran with Likud, as uh, something of a, a, as I've said, a reluctant Bibi supporter that I've been in the past. And uh, Avigdor Lieberman left Bibi circle over 20 years ago and started this, this Yisrael Batenu party, Israel is our home, this sort of Russian secular nationalist party. And he's been running to the right of Bibi ever since. Now, he has a right to do that. You know, and he's staked out that position, and he's got a voting base. And to, to prop up that voting base, he's made a number of inflammatory statements over the years, uh, not least of which saying uh, that uh, Israeli-Arab national ambitions belong with the other side of the green line. So he has implied strongly that communities like Umal Fam and, and other Arab communities in Israel could be moved over to the Palestinian uh, state if a Palestinian state is ever uh, established. So he's one of those people who thinks that, uh, you know, Israeli Arabs should ultimately become, most of them, part of a Palestinian state. Obviously, Israeli Arabs don't want that. Uh, surprise, surprise, something about freedom of speech and economic opportunity that people really appreciate. But um, this, is, this is something he said in the past. I disagree with such statements. I you know, don't know that uh, Israel should make any such uh, move. But at the same time, uh, this is how he's propped up, uh, you know, propped himself up with the secular right. Uh, for me, I've 
appreciated some of his rhetoric moving around the conflict. He spent a lot of time talking about, well, Israel should uh, consider, you know, make an application to join the European Union and uh, force Europeans to have this this problem of, you know, should Israel be admitted, uh, NATO, things like that. And he's, he's worked on this idea of just making uh, Europeans, European governments and, and the allies have become very complacent about Israeli security. And so he's, you know, finding new ways to make them uncomfortable. Uh, with the situation so that they have to acknowledge uh, that Israel, uh, to a certain degree, you know, Israel are the good guys, that Israel could be a member of the European Union, Israel could be a member of NATO, and obviously no Arab country could. In fact, at this point, it's not even clear why Turkey is still a member of NATO, and NATO really should kick Turkey out (laughs) post-haste. Very dangerous situation having Turkey and NATO. In any case, another story for another time. So Lieberman has this this position. So all this time, he's had all this this language about, you know, Israeli era, about national ambitions belong with the Palestinians and all this kind of thing. And now he is sitting in a unity coalition, you know, talks with Yair Lapid about forming this unity coalition, potentially backed by Arab communists and nationalists and anti-Zionists, just to get rid of Bibi, because he says Bibi is the big threat to Israel. So... At this point, either Avigdor Lieberman is completely full of bull hockey and has everything he has said over the last 20 years has been nothing more than a bunch of hot air. And he's willing to bring, uh, you know, anti-Zionist Israeli Arabs into the government, something that he should say is dangerous. He should, just like uh, Smotrich, be out there saying, no, 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 we can't do this Trojan War. We can't. If he's if he's genuine. If he really believes the things he believes, he should be objecting to that. And yet, the silence is deafening. He's just sitting there waiting for this thing to come out. Because, of course, it's in his best interest to see Bibi go down. He has a a personal stake in this. So either he's completely full of it, or uh, a complete opportunist. What a surprise that might be. Uh, Or uh, he just has no no spine whatsoever. I mean, he's completely against his political... uh, agenda. So uh, Avigdor Lieberman has uh, just about lost the last inkling of respect I have for him. And uh, he's, a, he's a complete hypocrite at this point. <clears throat> and I think that his voters hopefully will learn from this and grow and uh, uh, find uh, other parties to vote for. You know, there are other right-wing parties that are uh, led by people who have integrity, and uh, maybe it's time to go support those parties. Yeah, Avigdor Lieberman is never going to convince me that Bibi Netanyahu is a greater threat to uh, Israel and, and Israeli security and Israeli politics than having the joint list prop up a government in Israel. I, that just isn't going to work. Sorry, Avi, you're, you're just, <laughs> you're out there. That's That's a little far-fetched, so I'm done with that. I have no further uh, patience for that kind of opportunism. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say Bibi's the greatest guy or that uh, he's perfect. Like I said, I've been a reluctant Bibi supporter for a while. Uh, I'm not sure he should continue as prime minister. I'm really, uh, honestly, fairly excited about Nir Barkat, who's a potential successor of his. Uh, Nir Barkat, by the way, has said uh, if Bibi does retire, Barkat will seek the leadership of Likud and um, he will uh, have a good chance at winning it obviously. Anyway, so that's the situation with <laughs> uh, Lieberman and, and some of the hypocrisy we're getting, you know, for, for him to have such inflammatory language all those years and now somehow try to argue that Bibi continuing in office is, is worse than, than all the things he's called out as threats to Israel all of these years. Uh, wow, you know, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. I'm afraid I'm not going to 
be able to to take that one. All right. Um, so the the next issue now is can will people break ranks? Right. What would entice them? So in a recent call on Friday, uh, BB called Benny Gantz. Now Benny Gantz is in the current sort of this this temporary coalition, this sort of minor uh, caretaker government. That, that can't make big decisions. I mentioned them making military decisions together. So Benny Gantz is still in the government. And BB called him up on Friday and pitched to him the idea of his having uh, the first go as prime minister. That if, if Benny Gantz would join the coalition, BB would give him the first year as prime minister if BB stays in the prime minister's residence. He doesn't leave the residence, but uh, Benny Gantz would be the prime minister for the first year, followed by uh, BB uh, for two years and then uh, Benny again for a year after that. Now, Benny Gantz has rehabilitated himself a little bit, but he's lost a lot of ground after obviously uh, joining a government, a unity government with BB over the virus emergency when he had promised not to. So the likelihood that he'd take that is not good. Uh, BB may have made a major political miscalculation in bringing on this election, which he did in order to prevent Gantz from becoming prime minister in the first place. Um, so that's one option. Now there's the possibility that BB will make the same offer to other um, leaders like Gidon Sa'ar and Avidur Lieberman in the hopes of wooing them into the coalition that uh, he could have enough votes to uh, have a majority. So as BB is kicking around this idea of offering the prime ministership, the premiership to um, various and sundry candidates on the other side, possibly to Lieberman and Saar and these guys, to try to break them, shake them loose from the uh, uh, from the opposition coalition, uh, those opposed to Bibi's uh, continuance in office, so that he can try to get back in. Uh, there's, you know, there's, he's trying to pry them loose, and uh, it's not clear that's going to work. Again, it's hard to trust him considering why he called this election in the first place. He, the, the election happened because he didn't want to let uh, Benny Gantz become PM. And so this has a an air of desperation to it. And uh, that's not necessarily a good thing from Bibi's point of view. And there's also been some talk, some chatter. It's not clear if these are rumors or things that are actually being discussed behind closed doors. But um, I share them anyway because they might, uh, they might actually be uh, things that are being discussed uh, deliberately. And that is that uh, BB could step back from the prime ministership, again, remaining in the prime minister's residence, <clears throat> allowing someone else from Likud to take over for him. In the meantime, someone uh, like Levine or uh, Yuval Steinitz or someone someone close to BB that he could uh, uh, control. You know, so he'd still remain essentially in the leadership position. Uh, the Israeli media is calling this the Medvedev uh, contingency, that's kind of a funny thing. Uh, when Vladimir Putin ran up against term limits in 2008 after serving two terms as president, uh, he had his uh, secretary of state, his, his uh, foreign minister, uh, Medvedev, run for president. And uh, uh, he took on the job of prime minister. No one bought it. Everyone knew better that Vladimir Putin was still the absolute ruler of Russia. And this guy Medvedev was just acting as president so that, you know, uh, Putin could... Uh, could make a good show of it. And then, of course, in 2012, Putin ran for president again. And since then, uh, Russia has amended its constitution to allow the president to serve as many terms as he likes. Might as well. I mean, why why not call a spade a spade? Uh, he's president for life. They might as well have a faux election every four years and just 
you know, just accept that uh, as it is. In any case, so in Israel, this has been called a mediative option, that Bibi would remain uh, in the prime minister's residence, uh, the titular, you know, uh, he'd be ostensibly the head of the government, and there'd be a titular head who would have the office of prime minister uh, who would not be Bibi. <clears throat> and the hope seems to be to coax Gidon Sa'ar over uh, that way to join uh, the government uh, in, in that regard. Will that work? Who knows? On the other side, there's a talk that uh, United Torah Judaism might be willing, the, the Ashkenazic Orthodox Party, if there is a likelihood that uh, Lapid is given, if Lapid is given the mandate to form a coalition, and there's an, a likelihood that a coalition might form, uh, there's been some back backroom chatter that uh, UTJ might come over to keep the Arabs out of uh, the government and to uh, protect their interests, but also to keep uh, the finance ministry, to keep their man in control of uh, some of the, the Knesset's money-spending ability. That would protect uh, ultra-Orthodox interests to a degree. And uh, in that case, obviously, Arab votes would not be necessary to prop up the government since UTJ has seven votes. So then if, if they could get uh, the whole anti-Bibi coalition plus Yamina, then uh, they would add UTJ's votes from outside the coalition, and that would be 65, and that would do the job temporarily. So there's talk of this. A little bit of last-minute working by BB, some talk of maybe prying some uh, parties away from one side or the other, uh, and it, it's getting there. Now, you know, what could happen here? We don't know. Uh, maybe uh, BB just goes ahead and steps aside and let someone else take over. Uh, it's not likely. Um, if he were to retire now, announce his retirement, uh, and leave the prime minister's residence, or be willing to leave, uh, he would have a much less ignominious end than Maggie Thatcher, who was just literally thrown out of uh, number 10 uh, after 11 years in office uh, with a party that went in a very different direction after her. And in fact, uh, five years later would lose uh, control, six years later, excuse me, would lose control of parliament because the left would take on Maggie Thatcher's economic policies. And, you know, funny thing, if you, if you lose certain political ground, the opposition can take up that political ground and use it to clobber you. In any case, uh, Bibi would remain very prominent and very powerful in Likud. Uh, among its 3,800 Central Committee members, he's very popular. Among the 100,000-odd members of the Likud party, he's still very prominent and very popular. So uh, he could influence what goes on after that. Nir Barkat, who was mayor of Jerusalem... Uh, directly elected mayor of Jerusalem, is a very competent leader and could take over Likud and run the country uh, without the, the Bibi issue, taking the, the personal issue out of it. And it would be a government that would still have the strength. Yes, it'd be a new prime minister. Yes, the, the Arabs would want to test that prime minister. But it would be a strong right-wing Israeli government led by someone who is known to be a competent right-wing leader who has experience as an executive and who could competently lead the country. There's no doubt. If you can run a city the size of Jerusalem, then you are competent at least to spend the first day in the prime minister's office and lead the cabinet and, and work toward uh, learning what you need to learn to run the country, especially with the help of Netanyahu and others. Bibi just seems to be determined to hold on to office. And this, again, as I've stated from the beginning, is a lot of what um, gives cred credibility. It uh, offers credibility to Lapid's point that uh, and and Gidon Saar and all these people who say Bibi is the problem. He personally wants to stay in office, and uh, that is the issue. 
it lends credence to that point, I have to say. On the other hand, uh, the, the pro-BB argument that it's not time to change horses right now, that Israel's in a dangerous place, I can see that too. Uh, BB has been a competent leader for the last 12 years, and uh, over almost three years before, he could continue to lead the country now. So these are these are what these are the issues we're going to work out. Uh, the Israelis are going to work out here in the next uh, couple weeks. Uh, will BB form a coalition? It's not looking good for him. Uh, if he doesn't, honestly, I think it's time that he just go ahead and call it quits. He's got trials to deal with. He may beat those charges, uh, but uh, his time as prime minister may have come to an end. But we will find out uh, in the next exciting chapter of the Israeli election saga. Uh, in any case, whatever happens, uh, it is my supreme hope and my prayer uh, to Hashem, Bizlat uh, Hashem, Israel will be safe. That means with God's help. Israel will be safe and protected. Its citizens will live without fear and uh, that they will have a government that can keep them safe and protected. So no one has to feel insecure. Our, our people have felt insecure and uh, lived under the threat of annihilation for uh, many years in the past. And it really is time to, uh, to live in, in freedom from fear and, and in peace and prosperity. So uh, with that, uh, I will say goodbye and lahitrot. <laughs> המשחטות הישנות יגעינו תפוחי זהב כל זה אינו משל ולא חלום זה נכון, כעל בצהריים כל זה